0: Section 19 of The White Wolf and Other Fireside Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Fallis. The White Wolf and Other Fireside Tales by Sir Arthur Thomas quiller couch the bridles of isomanda when the grand duke ferdinand of carinthia traveled in state to wed the princess sophia of isomanda he did so by land and for two reasons the first being that this was the shortest way and the second that he possessed no ships these at any rate were the reasons alleged by his chancellor to whom he left all arrangements for himself he took very little interest in the marriage beyond inquiring the age of his bride six years was the answer and this seemed to him very young for he had already passed his tenth birthday the pope however had contrived and blessed the match so ferdinand raised no serious objection but in due course came to isomanda with his bodyguard of the famous green corinthian archers and two hundred halberdiers and twelve wagons four to carry his wardrobe and the remaining eight piled with wedding presents on the way while ferdinand looked for birds nests the chancellor sang the praises of the princess sophia who he declared was more beautiful than the day but you have never seen her objected ferdinand no your highness and that is why i contented myself with a purely conventional phrase and the chancellor who practised finesse in his odd moments began to talk of the sea the sight of which awaited them at isomanda and what is the sea like well your highness the sea is somewhat difficult to describe for in fact there is nothing to compare with it you have seen it i suppose sire i have done more for once while serving as ambassador at venice i had the honour to be upset in it with such converse they beguiled the road until they reached isomanda and found the sea completely hidden by flags and triumphal arches and there after three days feasting the little grand duke and the still smaller princess were married in the cathedral by the cardinal archbishop and the pope's legate handed them his master's blessing in a morocco-covered case and as they drove back to the palace the dutchmen waved their hats and shouted boomp but the corinthian archers cried talasio which not only sounded better but proved when they obligingly explained what it meant that the ancestors of the grand duke of Corinthia had lived in rome long before any pope on reaching the palace the bride and bridegroom were taken to a gilded drawing-room and there left to talk together while the guests filled up the time before the banquet by admiring the presents and calculating their cost ferdinand said well that's over and the princess said yes for this was their first opportunity of conversing alone you're a great deal better than i expected said ferdinand reassuringly indeed in her straight dress sewn with seed pearls and her coif of dutch lace surmounted with a little crown of diamonds the princess looked quite beautiful and he in his white satin suit crossed with the blue ribbon of saint john nepamuk was the handsomest boy she had ever seen besides he added. My Chancellor says you are hereditary High Admiral of the Ocean. It's in the marriage settlement, and that would make up for a lot. Where is it? The Ocean? She felt very shy still. I've never seen it, but I believe it's somewhere at the bottom of the garden. Suppose we go and have a look at it she was about to say that she must ask leave of her governess but he looked so masterful and independent that she hadn't the courage it gave her quite a thrill as he took her hand and led her out through the low window to the great stone terrace they passed down the terrace steps into a garden ablaze with tulip beds in geometrical patterns at the foot ran a yew hedge and beyond it in a sidewalk they came upon a scullion boy chasing a sulphur yellow butterfly the grand duke forgot his fine manners and dropped his bride's hand to join in the chase But the boy no sooner caught sight of him than he fled with a cry of dismay and popped into an arbor. There, a minute later, the bride and bridegroom found him stooping over a churn and stirring with might and main. What are you stirring, boy? asked Ferdinand. Praise be the Virgin, said the boy. I believe it's an ice pudding for the banquet but they shouldn't have put the ice puddings in the same arbor as the fireworks, for, if your highness will allow me to say so, you can't expect old heads on young shoulders. Are the fireworks in our honor, too? Why, of course, the scullion answered, everything is in your honor today. This simplified matters, wonderfully the children passed on through a gate in the garden wall and came upon a clearing beside a wood stack and there stood a caravan with its shafts in the air a woman sat on the tilt at the back reading and every now and then glancing towards two men engaged in deadly combat in the middle of the clearing who shouted as they thrust at one another with long swords the little princess who except when driven in her state-coach to the cathedral had never before strayed outside the garden turned very pale and caught at her husband's hand but he stepped forward boldly now you, thee caitiff or thine hour has come shouted one of the fighters and flourished his blade sooner i'll die than tum de tum de tum the other answered quite as fiercely slave of thine become said the woman from the caravan thank you sooner i'll die than slave of thine become he laid about him with a fresh vigour put down your swords commanded ferdinand and now tell me who you are we are valentine and orson they answered indeed ferdinand had heard of them and shook hands affably then i'm very glad to make your acquaintance and said they we are rehearsing for the performance at the palace tonight in your highness's honour oh so this is in our honour too to be sure said the woman and i am to dress up as hymen and speak the epilogue in a saffron robe it has some good lines for instance ye loves and genial hours conspire to gratify this royal pair with sons impetuous as their sire and daughters as their mother fair thank you said ferdinand but we're very busy to-day and must take one thing at a time can you tell us the way to the sea please the woman pointed along a path which led to a moss-covered gate and an orchard where the apple-blossom piled itself in pink clouds against the blue sky as they followed the path they heard her laughing and looked back to see her still staring after them and laughing merrily while valentine and orson leaned on their swords and laughed too the orchard was the prettiest in the whole world blackbirds played hide-and-seek beneath the boughs blue and white violets hid in the tall grass around the bowls and the spaces between were carpeted with daisies to the edge of a streamlet over the streamlet sang thrushes and goldfinches and bullfinches innumerable and their voices shook down the blossom like a fall of pink snow which threatened to cover even the daisies the grand duke and the princess believed that all this beauty was in their honour no less than the chorus of the bells floating across the tree-tops from the city this is the best of all said ferdinand as they seated themselves by the stream i had no idea marriage was such fun and they haven't even forgotten the trout he cried peering over the brink can you make daisy chains asked the princess timidly he could not so she taught him feeling secretly proud that there was something he could learn of her When the chain was finished, he flung it over his neck and kissed her. "'Though I don't like kissing as a rule,' he explained. "'And this shall be my wedding present,' said she. "'Why, I brought you six wagon-loads, beauties, all chosen by my Chancellor.' "'But he didn't make or choose this one,' said Sophia, "'and I like this one best.' They sat silent for a moment. Dear me, she sighed, what a lot we have to learn of each other's ways. Hello, Ferdinand was staring down the glade. What's that line at the end there across the sky? Sophia turned. I think that's the sea. Yes, there is a ship upon it. But why have they hung a blue cloth in front of it? i expect that's in our honour too they took hands and trotted to the end of the orchard and there beyond the hedge ran a canal and beyond the canal a wide flat country stretched away to the sea a land dotted with windmills and cattle and red and white houses with weathercocks. a land too criss-crossed with canals whereon dozens of boats and even some large ships threaded their way like dancers in and out of the groups of cattle or sailed past a house so closely as almost to poke a bowsprit through the front door the weathercocks spun and glittered the windmills waved their arms the boats bowed and curtsied to the children never was such a salutation even the blue cloth in the distance twinkled and ferdinand saw at a glance that it was embroidered with silver but the finest flash of all came from a barge moored in the canal just below them where a middle-aged woman sat scouring a copper pan good day cried ferdinand across the hedge why are you doing that why in honor of the wedding to be sure must show one's best at such times if only for one's own satisfaction then as he climbed into view and helped sophia over the hedge she recognized them and dropping her pan with a clatter called on the saints to bless them and keep them always the bridal pair clambered down to the towpath and from the towpath to her cabin where she fed them for they were hungry by this time with bread and honey from a marvellous cupboard painted all over with tulips in short they enjoyed themselves immensely only said ferdinand i wish they hadn't covered up the sea for i wanted a good look at it the sea said the barge woman all of a shiver then she explained that her two sons had been drowned in it though to be sure said she they died for your majesty's honour and if god should give them back to me would do so again for me exclaimed sophia opening her eyes very wide ay to be sure my dear so it's no wonder eh that i should love you by the time they said good-bye to her and hurried back through the orchard a dew was gathering on the grass and a young moon had poised herself above the apple-boughs the birds here were silent but high on the stone terrace when they reached it a solitary one began to sing from the bright windows facing the terrace came the clatter of plates and glasses with loud outbursts of laughter but this bird had chosen his station beneath a dark window at the corner and sang there unseen it was the nightingale they could not understand what he sang it is my window whispered sophia and began to weep in the darkness without knowing why for she was not miserable in the least but on the contrary very very happy they listened hand in hand by a fountain on the terrace through the windows they could see the papal legate chatting at table with the king sophia's father and the chancellor hobnobbing with the cardinal archbishop only the queen of isolande sat at the table with her wrists on the arms of her throne and her eyes looking out into the darkness as though she caught some whisper of the bird's song but the children knew that he sang for them not for her for he told of all the adventures of the day and he told not as i am telling them but so beautifully that the heart ached to hear yet his song was of two words only young 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 love 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 the same words over and over a courtier came staggering out from the banqueting hall and the bird flew away the children standing by the fountain watched him as he found the water and dipped his face in it With a groan, he was exceedingly drunk. But as he lifted his head, he caught sight of them in the moonlight and excused himself. In your highness's honor, he assured them, been doing my best. Poor man, said Sophia. But how loyal. End of section 19.